Well, I'm surprised Brian shared that story about Bruce with you out loud publicly on camera. <laughs> but, but we did have fun with that. Yeah, several of you have remarked that it's unusual to see Pastor Brian and me together on the same campus. No, it's not a mistake. One of us is not here with the wrong, at the wrong time. Some of you asked me that, but it's a rare treat for me to be here in person. It's great to see all of you and to be here and to bring God's word to you. Let's pray once more and ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you for the beauty of this day, for the privilege it is of gathering together. We don't take that privilege lightly. It's a gift to us to gather in your name, to sing your praises, to open your word, and to know that you're with us. We thank you for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters, adopted into your family, part of the church, sent into the world with a, with a mission and a purpose, filled by your spirit, equipped uh, by, your, by your spirit with gifts and the truth of your word. All these things are things we don't deserve and don't earn, but you give to us freely. Now, Lord, we ask you to speak to us, because even though sometimes we ignore or resist, we need to hear from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the TV series that uh, aired in the late 90s, early 2000s called Early Edition. Anybody familiar with that show, Early Edition? Just me? Let me tell you about it, for those of you that aren't two or three of you fans. Early Edition was, uh, it was based in Chicago. Uh, the individual would get a copy of the Chicago Sun-Times on his doorstep a day early. So and he, he figured out that he was getting the news, the actual news, what was going to happen the next day, 24 hours early. And the show was about how do you react to that? Well, what would you do? If you got tomorrow's headlines today, you might use it to your advantage. You might figure, well, this could be a good opportunity to make some money or to, you know, to get, get my way in the world. Uh, the show is about how he reacted to that, and you only had 24 hours to respond, and so he started working out, looking at the, the tragedies and crises and trying to avert those, warn people, that sort of thing. What if you got the news a week early? Maybe not a day, but a week. That'd be easier. You'd have more time to plan. What if, what if you knew world headlines a year in advance? Now we're talking, right? Tell me all that's going to happen about the global pandemic two years in advance. What would you do? What if God spoke to you and said, I'm going to tell you how it's all going to end and exactly what I want you to do? Some of you should be thinking, wait a minute, I think he has. We're going to look at a story in our series called By Faith at a man who was given specifics about the future, and exact instructions about how he was to respond, what we can learn from him. A little review, the writer of Hebrews, as you know, this is our summer series, He's, Hebrews in general is a book written to Jewish Christians, Hebrews, who had converted to faith in Jesus. They, they, they're Jewish, but they're now believing in Jesus as the Messiah. And they're under persecution because in the Roman Empire of the time, it was, there were protections for Jews, but not for Christians. Some of them are wondering if this whole Jesus thing is worth it. Should we go back to our former faith and reject the Jesus thing because it's getting, the heat's getting turned up? And Hebrews is written primarily to encourage them that faith in Jesus is, he's the fulfillment of everything you hope for. He's supreme. He's better than anyone or anything that has come before or will come after him. Don't shrink back now. And chapter 11, which we're studying this summer, is written to address two questions. First, what is faith, anyway, that was our first week, two weeks ago. And second, what does faith do or look like in the life of those who follow him? And the rest, most of the chapter is answering the second question. And the method is to give these examples from the Old Testament. Think about that for just a minute. How brilliant is the writer of Hebrews? Speaking to Jews, 
whose heroes, those they revered, were Old Testament saints. And he uses them to say, these are the ones who live by faith, looking forward to what you now know in Christ. Don't shrink back now from what they hoped for, which you see. And we're looking at these characters as we go. Last week, the faith of Abel in verse 4, and how that taught us about what it means to worship God rightly by faith. Then he moves on to talk about Enoch, a man who walked with God, Genesis 5.24. Enoch walked with God and God took him, meaning he did not face physical death but was taken out of this world to be with God, and who pleased God, Hebrews 11.6. And we're going to see that this walking with God phrase becomes increasingly rare in the time of the character we're studying today. The individual's name is Noah. Certainly not a man without flaws. You read his whole story. After the flood, Noah did some things that were shameful and regrettable. Not a perfect man. But he was known as someone who walked by faith and therefore was called righteous in his generation. He stood out from his generation because he lived by faith. I think Noah and his story has become something of a mythic figure to us. That's, that, that sometimes it's hard for us to connect to or relate to. Or what does that have to do with my life? Because we've, we've either sanitized it to make it a children's mobile above their bed, you know, the Noah and the Ark, or we've mythologized it into some crazy story. But it's given to us for a reason. We have a lot to learn. Let's look at verse 7, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. You can follow along. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It'll be on the screens here. Aha. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Once again, as in the case of Abel, we're only given one verse in Hebrews 11 about this man, but it's, it's, there's a lot to go on in that verse, and it takes us back uh, to the rest of the story, which we'll get to in a minute. But I hope you notice that line, things as yet unseen. Noah's warned about things he didn't see and were really beyond his comprehension at that time from a human perspective. And that points us back to the very first verse of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That doesn't mean blind faith, irrational faith, faith in spite of evidence or without evidence. It means faith is substantive. It's based on something. A deep conviction in who God is, even if I don't see the physical evidence yet. And Noah is, a, is sort of a, a towering example in the Old Testament of what that faith looks like and does. Now, to do anything by faith means to do it in response to the Word of God and in accordance with the Word of God. To live your life by faith, to worship by faith, anything you do by faith means you're responding to what God has said and aligning yourself with what God has said. It's clear the writer of Hebrews assumes that his readers know these stories. We get a verse or two for each one. He's assuming, and it's a good assumption, they're Hebrews, that they knew the stories inside and out. I'm not sure that's a fair assumption for most of us today. You might think you know, but for many of us, we're not as familiar with these stories and what they really mean as we could be or perhaps should be. So to help us get a sense of this story before we go to the book of Genesis, I want to show you a short video that has a lot of really wise insights into the story of Noah, recorded at this church about 18 years ago. Let's watch this together. It's where 
all these other people were being mean to others, and then God said to Noah's ark, Noah, and he said that he's going to bring a flood. So. Noah's um, kids, they chopped down trees, and then they started building a boat. Two it's pallets, a boring eel, two elephants, a boring eel, and we bring everybody to level and and they get they had a storm sixty six days sixty six nights. All the mean people said, "Help us, Noah! Get us on our your boat!" And then he, Noah just ignored them. Why did the ants go in an apple to Noah's ark? Because everyone else went in pairs. <laughs> Noah sent out a bird. The bird came back with nothing. Then the next day, Noah sent out, um, sent out the bird. He, the bird, um, found a way. The next day, um, but the bird go and he never came back because he found dry land. And then they got out, and Noah made an ark up for, and then God made a rainbow to promise that he would never flood the earth again with water. When he promised everybody they won't have any more floods ever, and that promise was to keep. That last line, and that promise was keeped. By the way, the uh, brilliant girl with the pun in that little video is my daughter Hannah, who's 24 years old now. So, yeah. I had her permission to show it then and now. Hopefully that clears up all of your confusion and questions about the story of Noah. A little more background. It's been 1,600 years, give or take, from the time of Abel to the time of Noah. And things on earth and for the human race are not going well. It's getting uh, dark and corrupt and wicked in a way that even though many people, it's tempting to watch the news and think what's happening in the world, the world is worse than it's ever been, and we could debate that. We're not the first people to think that. But what we're going to read is a time of corruption and darkness and wickedness that is hard for us to comprehend. Total in its scope. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. We'll read verses 5 through 9. Genesis 6, beginning with verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let me say that again. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. There's a lot of information in these few verses. The fallenness and wickedness and corruption of humanity had reached unimaginable levels. Every inclination of his heart was only evil continually, all the time. Whoa. I, I think uh, we have to grasp a bit of what's being said there to make sense of the story. 
By the way, when, when the text of Genesis says that God regretted and was sorry, it's, a, it's an, he's anthropomorphizing God, meaning putting human emotions in God, and that God grieves over the wickedness and sin and evil in the world and in humanity. It's not technically true that God ever made a mistake and, and wants to undo his mistake. It's expressing the deep sorrow God has over the brokenness and darkness and wickedness of the human condition. And then God gives this staggering declaration of judgment that is troubling and hard to read. But aren't we living with the same knowledge if we're paying attention? Aren't aren't you, if you're a follower of Jesus, living with the knowledge that he will one day return and there will be a judgment? All will stand before him. That that day is coming in our day as it was in Noah's day. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for us once to die, then comes the judgment. That day is coming. First thing I want you to see, though, is uh, this verse 9. Noah walked with God. That was unique. The walk of faith. It's the first point if you're a note taker. The walk of faith. Noah was a righteous man in his generation, and he walked with God. Now, what does it mean to walk with God? Any walkers in here? Anybody love to walk? C.S. Lewis loved to walk. He loved it. He was his favorite pastime to take long walks, recite poetry, talk with his friends. In fact, he came to faith. One of the key uh, movements in his faith journey, coming to faith in Christ, was a long walk he took in the middle of the night on Addison's walk, named for the philosopher Joseph Addison on Oxford's campus with J.R.R. Tolkien in the middle of the night. But that's not part of the sermon. Anyway, <laughs> a long walk. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, let me give an analogy of walking with my wife, which none of you have done, but I have. If you're going to walk with Aaron Frazier, you better have your walking shoes on, and you better keep up. (laughs) It is not a leisurely stroll. (laughs) She walks really fast. I would prefer to jog than walk at her pace because it's uncomfortable to walk. You ever seen like speed walkers? It's It's like almost running, but not quite. I don't know how she does it. So when we go for walks around the Fox River, not far from our house, I don't know, I'm, she has her earpods in and she's going. And I'm just like <laughs> trying to keep up with her, right? Well, what it means to walk with God, it means at least to go at his pace. Not to lag behind him, not to run in front of him. But to move in terms of our life at the pace that God is moving us. And it also means to go in his direction. You can't walk with somebody if you're heading the opposite direction. If you're straying off the path. So when it says that Noah walked with God, two things that maybe are obvious but are worth saying is that Noah was moving at God's pace and moving in God's direction. That's been helpful for me me to think about in my life. Am I walking with God? Or am I expecting God to keep up with me? Or do I want him to to walk with me? There's a difference between, hey, God, walk with me and me walking with him. It doesn't say God walked with Noah. It says Noah walked with God. If someone says to you, hey, let's take a walk, what are they saying? They're inviting you into a relationship, aren't they? You could assume there's going to be conversation. We're going somewhere together. We're going to spend time together. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together without agreeing on the direction? To walk with God means he's inviting you into a relationship, to trust him, to listen to him, to move in his direction. Now, that's the image we're given of Noah, that in a generation where everyone is walking away from God, this man walked with God. 
That's the image we should have in our minds. We are prone to wander. It's one of my favorite hymns that says. Sometimes we need minor course corrections. Sometimes we need major course corrections. Sometimes we need to slow down. Sometimes God is saying, hey, keep up. You're lagging behind. It's worth thinking about your life in these terms. Am I walking with God? Let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 14 next. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. We'll stop there. Here God speaks to Noah of massive judgment and then of a very strange assignment. Something unimaginable. Noah lived roughly 200 miles from the nearest sea or ocean. And this is, there's, not, there's not, people didn't travel outside their region in these days. He's never seen a body of water like an ocean. He lived in, in, a, in, a, in a time and in a place in the world in human history where it did not rain regularly. Some scholars suspect it maybe didn't rain at all. The, water, the earth was watered from below. But the point is, when God says, I'm going to destroy the earth with the flood, which comes in the next few verses, that's unimaginable to Noah. It's not even in like, his, the imagery of his mind of what that might mean. God is saying things to him that just he can't comprehend fully. Don't make sense. Hebrews 11, verse 7, once more. I want you to notice one particular line here. We'll come back, we'll come back to this, this verse a few times. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, here's the phrase, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In reverent fear. This means Noah respected and revered the voice of God more than the voice of his generation. That's also what it means to walk with God. You, you won't hear God if you aren't walking with God. And Noah did, and he hears God, and God's voice was louder, clearer, and more compelling than the voice of the culture around him. That's not always true in my life. And when I look out and I see friends, people that I love, people in our church, I think it's not a stretch to say it's not always true of your life either, of our lives. Sometimes the voice of the culture is louder, much louder to us than the voice of God. More compelling. Not so with Noah. Now this is not paralyzing fear, but it's reverence that moves you to action. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the, the one who fears the Lord. And then later in the psalm it says, For he will not be afraid of bad news. His heart is steady. He'll not be afraid. Blessed is the person who fears reverent awe for who God is and what God has said. And therefore, if I have that fear, I will not be afraid of the bad news because there's a lot of bad news. Then and now. This brings us to the work of faith. The walk of faith is to walk with God. The work of faith is to do what God says. 
It was the reverent fear Noah had for the Lord that led him to obey the Lord. Now, ironically, when you, when you lose the fear of the Lord, when you begin to drift from reverence for who God is and what God has said, you are susceptible to all kinds of other fears in the culture. But the fear of the Lord is, in a way, a protection against those fears and anxieties. Proverbs 29, verse 25, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever fears the Lord will be safe. So what God tells Noah to do, this work of faith, was really astounding. And I, I, there's no way he's going to hear that and think that's from the Lord and obey it if he isn't already walking with God. Just to believe that this flood would actually happen was an act of great faith. To build this ark was going to take, anybody know? To build the ark? You've got to do a little math in the text. 120 years. So, hey, i got a weekend project for you, Noah. You might be teased. You might be mocked. It's going to take a lot of sweat equity, but it'll be done by Sunday. Basically, I'm asking you, Noah, to realign your whole life for the next generation with what I have said. And you're not going to see any evidence that this is going to make sense. In fact, you're, you're going to be, feel very alone in this endeavor. Let's look at verses 17 and 18 of Genesis chapter 6. Back, we'll flip back to Genesis again. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. It's the first time the word covenant is used there of God. We're going to see it over and over again in our journey through Hebrews 11. God's promise. What we actually see is that the wickedness and corruption of humanity was so bad that Noah, in a sense, was the only fully, truly human person left. And God is through an act of destruction and judgment, restoring, remaking. He tells him to build this ark. Noah's not a carpenter. He's not a shipbuilder. He's never seen a ship. By the way, the ark, the word ark is the, is the tevat in Hebrew. It, it doesn't mean ship. It means box. The only other time it's used is to describe the, the, the basket of reeds that Moses was placed in. It's not the same word for ark of the covenant. It's a strange Hebrew word that literally means box or vessel or chest. Noah, I want you to build a ginormous wooden box. And you don't know this yet, but you're going to have to live in that for 100 years. Or for, for, excuse me, for a full year. It's going to take you 120 years. You have to live in it for a year. There's no rudder. There's no sail. There's no navigational system. There's no oars. Think about it. What sense does this make? It must have sounded bizarre, ridiculous. I've I got to be honest. I would think, even if I was a man... And I, 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 want to believe that I am, of, of faith, I think this would be a time for some, some sensible skepticism. Like, have you ever thought you heard from God and then thought, okay, wait a minute. This can't be right. You want me to do this? Come again, Lord? Say that again? I don't, I think, I'm pretty sure I misunderstood you. And, and, and just in case you're, you're interested in the details, uh, we won't read through them, but the ark, by conversion tables, is about, would, would have been between 450 and 500 feet long. 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Where did he build it? What if you're Noah's neighbor? <laughs> I've got neighbors down the street that have always got stuff in their yard, but can you imagine that? For 100 years, that guy building that thing. 
<laughs> or be in Noah's wife. Shem, Ham, Japheth, go help your dad with the ark. Mom, we've been doing it for 20 years, right? Get out there and help your dad. This is their life. So if the work of faith is to obey God, then we're going to have to recognize that sometimes obedience to God isn't going to make much sense. Certainly not to the rest of the world, and sometimes not even to us in the moment. We would prefer it to make sense, wouldn't we? I know I would. I would much prefer if everything God ever told me to do in his word or by his spirit made perfect sense to me. That has not been my experience. Has it been yours? If it has been yours, I would suggest, maybe you're not listening close enough or reading carefully enough. Notice also in in Hebrews 11.7, we're told that he did this for the saving of his household. I don't think I'd picked up on that part of the verse before. No, he did this for the saving of his household. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. I think one, one application or implication of this is, look, if everyone else thinks I'm crazy, I want my circle, my family, my sphere of influence to know who God is, to understand what it means to live by faith. I'm far more concerned with God's opinion of me, my wife's opinion of me, and my family's opinion of me than what's said on Facebook or in the culture. There wasn't Facebook in Noah's day, but if there was, there probably would have been a lot of opinions about him. A lot in the comment section. Now, few of us have ever or will ever be told by God to do something as extreme or momentous as what God told Noah to do. But the fundamental question is the same for you. And I want you to hear it. Are you really going to align your whole life with the Word of God? Are you really all of it? Are you really going to align your entire life with what God has said? I mean, isn't some of it outdated? Doesn't some of it not make sense anymore? Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 22 through chapter 7, verse 1. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah did all that God commanded it. Not some of it, not when it was convenient, not some of the time, but all of it. For 120 years, without seeing any evidence of rain or flood or anything that God said was going to happen. Finally, we come to the witness of faith. The witness of faith. Do you ever wonder about the kind of conversations Noah must have had with his neighbors? With the people that, that, that observed him? I mean, you know, I, I'm guessing we can surmise what they said about him behind his back. And many of them would have ridiculed, rolled their eyes, mocked, hated, despised, and ignored. But some must have been curious enough to ask him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, just some thought he was a crazy old man building a wood boat in the middle of an arid part of the country with no ocean. But some must have asked why. Back to Hebrews eleven seven, one more time. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, when it says condemn the world, it's easy to read that and make the mistake of thinking, oh, I get it. So Noah's like the angry old man building an ark every day and screaming at everybody about the judgment that's coming. 
Or maybe he's like secretly relishing it. <laughs> You're all going to die and build this ark. I don't think that's the picture of Noah we get at all. That's not what it means by condemn the world. It simply means by his obedience. To, like, think about one man who walked with God is being obedient to God. The rest of the world is lost in darkness and corruption. Who turns out to be the one that is saved? His very action, his very life, in a sense, is con- condemning for those who will not hear, who will not respond. Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39, puts it this way. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There is a judgment coming. There's some fascinating parallels between Noah's day and our day. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, They will say, where is the promise of his coming? We'll get to that one in a minute. Sorry. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the beginning, things go on as always. Mocking it. You're crazy. You're kidding yourself. Why are you living this way? But what is Noah doing during the time besides building the ark? Now, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 5, and then skipping ahead to 9. If he, God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That phrase, herald of righteousness, the word herald is sometimes translated preacher, proclaimer. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was pleading, preaching, proclaiming something about who God is and what God has said about God's righteousness. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we implore you, we urge you, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. At the end of Hebrews 11, verse 7, Noah is an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It's key that you understand that Noah's not called righteous because he did everything right. Later in the story we see he doesn't. He's called righteous because of the righteousness that comes by faith. It's his faith in what God would do, what God has said that made him righteous. Noah is an Old Testament example of what the Reformers called justification by faith. You're made right with God, not based on how good you are, how moral you are, how well you keep the rules. But your belief and faith in what he said he will do, and for us, what he has done in Christ. In this sense, the story of Noah and the ark points us forward to the story of Christ and the cross. Some of you will know this, these parallels, but perhaps some of you haven't seen this or heard this before. How many doors were on the ark? One door. One way in. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. All who enter through me will be saved. In Genesis 6, 14, God tells Noah, cover the ark with pitch. Literally in Hebrew, it's kefir, cover, kefar, cover, with kefir, pitch. Pitch with pitch. That's what you might translate it. What does he mean? The word kefar for covering is the same root word in Hebrew for the word for atonement. Covering. Cover it all with this covering that will seal you in and protect you. We're told that the Son of Man came to give his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are covered by the grace that comes through his blood. 
Colossians 3 tells us that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We're in Him. Paul repeatedly uses the phrase in Christ, sealed in Him, protected in Him. When Noah goes into the ark, we're told in Genesis chapter 7, that verse 26, that God closes the door, shuts him in. God covers, God protects, God seals, God saves. The story of Noah and the ark is pointing us to our ark, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have rescue and redemption and salvation. And the whole message of the gospel is God is righteous and just, and he will not let the wickedness of the world go on unabated forever. There is coming a day. So get in the ark. What was, what was Noah's sermon for 120 years? Maybe it's three words. It's gonna rain. <laughs> I don't know what a sermon was. And nobody listened for 120 years for the salvation of his family. Salvation came through a man, and it does still today. And that man's name is Jesus. And it's covered in him, hidden in him, rescued by him that we find salvation and hope. It's faith in him that makes us righteous. I, I know the story seems sometimes ancient and a little crazy to us today. And maybe the sanitized version we teach kids in Sunday school or the crazy version we see that's in Hollywood cloud our understanding of what God is saying to us. But it's a profound message for us today. Be reconciled to God. Find your rescue and hope in him and him alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, your ancient word, which speaks to us in this day, which we desperately need to hear. For those of us that know you, Jesus, and have placed our trust in you, help us to walk with you, to keep in step with you in your spirit, as Paul says. Not to run ahead or lag behind or drift off the path, but to stay right with you, that we might hear your voice and do everything you command us to do. Not out of fear of the world, but in reverent fear of who you are and what you've done. And as we walk with you and obey you, Lord, help us to be heralds of righteousness by our actions and with our words. That you are a good and just God. There is a day coming. And you extend grace and salvation to all who will respond. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus, the ark of refuge for our salvation. Amen.